Hello and welcome to the Heads and Volleys podcast with me, Lee Dunn. All right, mate. Heads and Volleys, I have a very special guest today, Coach Pete, Pete Novakowski from Australia. He and I, funny story, we connected socially and I was in Australia with my wife over the new year. And Pete and I actually went to a game, West Sydney Wanderers. They hosted us. We had some great seats. We stood and watched Robbie Fowler losing his mind as his, uh, as his team were not very good in that game, I don't think. But we had a great time anyway. So, Pete, welcome to Heads and Volleys. Awesome to be here. Thank you very much, Lee. And actually just going through the uh, the Twitter messages that started between us where it was literally, hey, Pete, I'm coming to Australia, want to meet up. And I'm like, yeah, right on, let's do this. <laughs> my, original, my original intent was that hopefully you were coaching, but of course it was the holidays and you didn't have much going on. So we just ended up taking in a game and riding the train around. It was pretty good times. Yeah, it was all right. Um, and yeah, shout out to Western City Wanderers for looking after us because uh, they they looked after us top shelf. Like uh, we had some decent seats to that game. Um, again, as you say, we got to see Robbie Fowler blow up about pretty much everything and that's just <laughs> hilarious just for anything that you possibly can do. Yeah, so that was good times. Great time. So give us a little intro, Pete, who you are, kind of, you're of course, in Australia, but a little bit of your background too. Yeah, so basically, I've um, I've spent the last uh, kind of nine years as a high school teacher, uh, working as a history, geography, English teacher, and um, I've always had that joy and that passion for football. And in uh, I think it was about 2010, I actually started off doing uh, some football journalism work and some social media stuff. Uh, covering our New South Wales Premier League as well as the A-League. And uh, from there, it pretty much kind of spiralled into full-on club land, uh, working in administration and starting up a women's program back in 2012. Incredible experience to have kind of jumped in and around so many different avenues of the game. I guess some people will follow one pathway, but apparently that's not good enough for you. No, of course not. It's way more interesting if you just do a bit of everything and then like anytime someone has a question, you'll be like, oh yeah, like in 2011, I did this and that worked brilliantly, but that was nine years ago. So like, let's move on. Let's do something new. Um, But yeah, like starting off in uh, club admin gave me a really good insight into kind of actually how to build a club from the ground up and how to kind of um, establish a club culture. And because of that, I've been able to kind of develop that idea and that philosophy over three different clubs that I've worked at and uh, been able to really provide what I like to think is kind of some really good insights into football in Australia and how different clubs work, what's effective in some environments, what doesn't work in others, um, and then kind of how to create that really positive um, pathway for players to be able to progress inside their clubs. So let me bringing up all sorts of questions that I would love to explore here. And I guess the first question is, is it a full-time program, uh, full-time gig for a lot of coaches like it is out here in the US? Uh, it's similar to what you guys will experience where it's full-time hours, but it's like <laughs> part-time pay. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the setup here. So uh, I fill in my day by basically working uh, for our state governing body, Football New South Wales, doing school programs. Uh, so turn up to schools, run a clinic for about an hour and a half, two hours, get in the car, drive to the next school, run another clinic, get in the car, go to the next place. 
and then somehow stumbled to my own team training sessions and being awake enough, uh, thanks to many coffees, to be able to run my own sessions. So, yeah, full-time hours, but definitely part-time pay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that. I'm sure many people listening are, are laughing along too, and as I laugh because it's, it's the reality that we all love to work in the game and we give up multiple hours, but when you really think about it, it really is a, a part-time paying gig, and I think that's the the landscape of of coaching and most people that i that i know do it for the love of the game and for the love of the experience they've had or they want to give so i don't think while we all want more money i'm sure there's there's definitely a a give and take in that in that role yeah exactly right but yeah that's that's just part of the uh, the journey i think you'd be very similar to me whereby I think the the top that I've achieved is four different t-shirts for four different companies on the same day. Um, <laughs> so laundry gets done pretty regularly in my household. I'll give you that much. <laughs> I'm going through something similar right now in terms of creating content for my players and, and keeping them active and then kind of tying that in with my own brand too of lead on soccer and making that available for coaches to use as a resource. And so then my club is asking you know, where, where the line is in terms of the content being produced for players kind of belonging to the club, but then belonging to me and then recreating. And so it's, it, I, I agree with you that you wear many different t-shirts on, on, on the same day. And I do the same thing. I'll go through probably three shirts in, in what I would class as a typical day because you just, you, you get on with it. You, that, that's, it's one roll to the next. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But uh, similar to what you're kind of doing where you're creating that content and then trying to kind of release it, um, I know that like on Twitter we've had a whole lot of discussions about uh, free coaching ed and football together and the communities of uh, coaches kind of worldwide sharing resources. Um, actually stumbled across some magnificent people who were sharing awesome things uh, through the free coaching ad kind of hashtag and those Twitter feeds. But uh, a great one which actually came through last night and late last night was an email uh, from Nancy Baker, uh, sorry, Nancy Baker, who sent through a women's football coaching pack. Um, and admittedly at about midnight last night, I woke up going – okay, I can redesign a whole lot of teaching resources that I have and do like some geography teaching lessons. I can do some history lessons. I can change a whole <laughs> lot of this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not a teacher at the moment. Like, breathe, relax. But at the same time, I'm like, no, actually, you know what? Everyone's homeschooling at the moment. So that's kind of basically been my mission today, tomorrow, basically the rest of this week is to kind of design and share as many teaching resources which are football related in as many different subject areas. I admittedly did this back in 2018 for the Russia World Cup and uh, did some activities for the Women's World Cup in 2019. So, yeah, basically, if you don't already uh, follow me on Twitter, at uh, Pete Novikovsky, you probably should over the next week or two as I kind of just info dump a heck of a lot of teaching resources and football resources that I can kind of generate. Yeah, stay tuned for that one because that one actually should be a hell of a lot of fun. I worked with a guy um, a few years ago 
And he implemented something in the UK called a game of two halves. And hopefully you'll forgive me if I butcher the description of this. But the idea was that they would do 30 minutes of in-class. And it would it would typically be an after-school program where they would do 30 minutes in a classroom related to a school subject such as math or English or geography. But it was all soccer-related, football-related. And then they would go out on the field for the next 30 minutes and play and coach and do some sort of programming. So everything was around football within that hour. But just as you kind of mentioned there, like tying in other core subjects because that's what the players and the kids are really, really interested in. So you've kind of got a niche of a way to grab them. They don't really care where Manchester is, but they know where Manchester United play. And so you start building on their knowledge based on soccer. And that was the tool that he found great success with. So something along those lines, and I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll be sharing that stuff as you post it too, as long as you're not posting it at 4 a.m. because of our time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be oh. sharing that for you, Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so let me ask you about um, women's soccer. So you kind of talked about your experience and, and getting involved in clubs and, and different cultures and kind of piggybacking on, on, on the back of that in terms of starting a women's program. What was the, the reason and the, the kind of pathway for that for you? Uh, so admittedly, I had been working um, previously as the women's football writer uh, for a uh, for the competition, and so I was the head journalist. I'd been doing all the photos on the weekends, writing all my match reports, that kind of stuff. I was kind of like the point of contact uh, contact for all uh, football clubs to be able to get their media uh, releases out. And so because of that, I had a club, Bankstown City FC, they reached out and they said, look, we want to start up a women's program. Uh, We'd be in the third tier. We just want to kind of start it up because we had one about 10 years ago. It was ran horribly and we want to start it up and run it properly. Uh, So they wanted to kind of get the right people in the right places to run things kind of the right way. So I jumped at the opportunity and – we ended up bringing in uh, a technical director and a few different coaches in different spots who actually brought in that really great positive family feel to the club. And uh, I, I ended up spending three years there. Two years of them were actually my first ever times coaching as well. So ended up being the assistant coach to a under-17s team, which ended up winning a championship and then ended up coaching in 2015 uh, under-13s women's team which that was just the most exciting year ever. We ended up dominating the league. I think we won the competition with like five games left to go. We ended up scoring like 100 goals in the entire season. And this is when we only had like 20 rounds of the competition. It was like an absolute domination. Um, And in 2016, I ended up uh, getting a call up to basically – jump up to a Premier League One club in uh, Northwest Sydney Koalas. Ended up spending two years there and that was probably the biggest um, change and development in me as a coach because suddenly you go from this level three or division three type coach who you kind of let a lot of things slide and you kind of enjoy your football way too much and then you you suddenly uh, get thrown in the deep end with a Premier League One club and suddenly whatever you've done previously is good but it's not good enough to be at the top tier so that was a massive learning experience for me and suddenly like yeah 2016 2017 that really upped my game 
Wow. What was the biggest takeaway in a jump like that? Because I'm sure there's many coaches who would love to go on and coach college, for example, from high school or to go and coach DA from, from the low level of, of competitive youth soccer. So what, what was one of your biggest takeaways? Emilio took for granted the, the planning, the, the, the process of I needed to plan all my sessions six weeks in advance. And I knew exactly what problems I needed to fix before they became problems kind of thing. And because of that planning process, I merely had taken that for granted um, back in like 2015, 2014, where I could just turn up to a training session and go, okay, we're going to work on this, this, this. And there was no real theme or process that I was kind of developing. But then once I uh, understood that kind of six-week training process where I've got themes and I've got things that I'm trying to solve and I understood the process of um, how to stretch our learning moments and then how to kind of condense it to make things easier and how to kind of find risk versus reward and all of these little moments, um, that basically just went, oh, I definitely need to up your game. Um, (laughs) And yeah basically it was at that point that I started using social media way more to connect with coaches worldwide to kind of go okay this is what I'm doing this week does it make sense um and that was kind of one of the first times that I actually started sharing session plans on Twitter and basically just releasing it and saying here is what I'm working on would this work with your team and if it doesn't can you explain why because to me the session plan makes sense and it was great because then i had people contacting me and just going yeah your system plan's okay but it's just plain and boring and there's no reward there's no like even you start off a session and you might do like some little rondos but then suddenly these little rondos needed to have little goals to be able to then make it more realistic or a simple thing of having the shape of your space rather than being a square suddenly became rectangles because then you had direction. Um, And it was tiny little things which made massive differences at the end. And so, yeah, I I 100% credit that time to uh, help me become the coach that I am today. Makes a big difference when you put yourself out there too. And there's a, I talk about this a lot in terms of kind of exposing yourself and being vulnerable when you, you put a lot of work and effort and thought into a session plan and then you put it out online and you almost cringe when you're waiting for someone to laugh at you or to criticize you and ask you what on earth you're doing. But that's really not the landscape in, in social media. And I guess the good thing about it is that you can block people that you don't like, but you can, <laughs> you can definitely connect with so many people online and that will, will help you. So like you said, just little things like the dimensions of your area that you may not have just considered. It's not that you may didn't think about it, but consider the reasoning with it. And I really like when people ask questions. So you put something out there and then they ask you a question back. Why, why this, why that? And that just gets you thinking a little bit more. That's like taking a coaching course every single day, because every time you put something out, you invite some sort of feedback and then you're learning. And I don't think if you're not doing that, or if you're not brave enough to do it, I encourage you to do it because like you said there, you've learned so much in such a simple way. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that the the best question that gets asked is what you get whenever you ask a little kid something. Like you, you think of like a six year old, and you just ask them a question. The first thing that they always say is why. 
<laughs> and it's just like once you start reading through session plans, you start reading through your team identity statement, you start reading through philosophies, you start planning out activities, you start thinking, oh, okay, this is what the kids are going to be doing when they're sitting at home during their quarantine at the moment. The first question I'm always now thinking is why? Why do this? Or like why are, you, why are we trying to achieve this? Why does this session make sense? Why does this activation actually benefit them? Why does any of this kind of like sharing of resources benefit? And then suddenly once you start thinking that why, then you can just go, okay, now there is kind of like a flow and a reason to the system. Brilliant. Why? Why, 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 why? Act like that kid. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Act like the six-year-old who just yells out, why, 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 why? It's just like, oh. Actually, you know what? It's a great way to kind of self-evaluate it, uh, to kind of go, does this make sense? You know what? Probably it doesn't. So can you make it better then? Let me ask you about the women's game in general in, in Australia. How is that in compared to the, to the men's game? Are there are a lot of resources in the women's game too, or is it just growing? Are there youth clubs solely focused on girls, or is it a combination? It's uh, pretty much a, a combination. If you look at like our professional league, so our W League, uh, it's a it's an odd uh, competition where it's only fourteen rounds. Uh, it's generically all done before kind of Christmas time. Um, it, it's it's a organized or it's a competition that's kind of piggybacked off the success of the uh, American NWSL and has basically just said, hey, we'll send you players if you send us players and we can share resources and all this kind of stuff. And we've seen that happen. But then this most recent W League season has obviously also seen a heck of a lot of change here in Australia where the semi-professional players have decided, you know what, it's not good enough to kind of play six months in America and then three and a half, four months here in Australia Let's just go play in a professional environment overseas. And so they've, a lot of the players, Sam Kerr at Chelsea, Hayley Razzo at Everton, uh, you get uh, Garabrachi at uh, West Ham, uh, you've got Mary Fowler, who's now playing at Montpellier in France, uh, you've, uh, like, you've got Alex Chidiak at uh, Atletico Madrid in Spain. A lot of these players have kind of left uh, the, the setup here in Australia. And the, the question mark is now going to be who kind of fills in the void, whether the, the W League competition becomes more of a development league and suddenly we have a whole lot of younger players trying to um, stamp their authority in the league or whether the competition has to take a, a massive step in a different direction. It's interesting because you want your best players to play or you want your best players to be around and to be fostering the next player coming through. But then I guess the flip side is that there is also the opportunity to bring more players into the fold of playing in a professional environment. So it's a toss up, I think, but yeah, I guess for your players, for your kids too, looking up, maybe they want to be seeing the, the, the role models on the field each week. Yeah, massively. But um, yeah, another thing which is happening, obviously, in Australia, we've got kind of the the W League uh, teams are kind of made up of players from uh, state league competitions. So there's no kind of connection. So for instance, me, I'm down here in Wollongong, uh, coaching at a team at the Illawarra Stingrays. So we actually ended up having uh, five of our Stingrays first grade players playing for the Western Sydney Wanderers W League side. And uh, we ended up having a couple of our former players playing for Sydney FC. But 
that kind of connection relies heavily on who the coach of these W League teams knows and who they've kind of identified throughout the competition. What probably will end up happening in the future, whether it ends up happening in next year or the year after or the year after that, it has to be the the concept of kind of club-like academies coming in whereby you end up having here is the W League team at the top and here is our under-20s, our 18s, our 16s and kind of filters all the way down so there is an actual process to how that club kind of runs. Otherwise, you end up just basically being a feeder club to the bigger teams and that relationship just doesn't really gel. I think that's very similar to how it is in the US too, that the 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 bigger clubs or the, the MLS teams especially will, they do have academy teams below, but there's still a, a rivalry and often a, a re- reluctance to release players into those environments. So I think I, we see the same thing over here for sure. Yeah, I've heard uh, a few coaches and players kind of talk about the relationships between us. So it's, it's not just the fact that um, we both live in these kind of multi-sport societies, but we have the same kind of issues in terms of how the clubs are being uh, not so much being ran, but just being uh, processed through their playing roster and how players are identified and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think that environment is very, very similar between our two countries. Let me ask you, continuing on similarities, the multi-sport athlete, how is, I know from when I was there, it was all about cricket because that was the summer, Con- confusingly, January was in the summer and it was all about <laughs> summer sports. But what's the, what kids are typical multi-sport athletes? Are there many kind of diehard soccer guys like there are in, in Europe or is it a, uh, like a combination of sports that kids play? I personally love the idea of having as many sports as possible and then not really specialising until way later on. Um, I think that, yeah, this multi-sport complex that we have here in Australia where you might play uh, either footy or AFL or rugby or rugby union uh, or soccer in the winter time and then in the summertime you might play basketball or cricket or tennis or um, you might have another sport like I actually find that really engaging. It's it's frustrating as heck when the seasons kind of overlap. And for instance, earlier on this year, I turned up at our training field and the fields had only been cut for the cricket wicket. So <laughs> we ended up all having to stand around kind of, you know, a 20 by 30 kind of square uh, rectangle <laughs> space because that was the only bit that had been mowed, um, basically ready for the game on the weekend. But yeah, I actually really enjoy that kind of multi-sport idea and the fact that you don't have um a specialization that you can kind of basically play anything you like at any time and that's probably one of the best things about uh, so many of these australian kids is the fact that they're just willing to give things a go um and it doesn't matter what the challenge is ahead of them they're just like yeah, yeah all right let's just let's go play it and then we'll learn as we play it seems to be a very uh, typical Australian attitude. That was very much my experience of most people that I came into contact when, when my wife and I travelled. So then how does that challenge you on how that compares in terms of rate of development or competitive level of play in terms of the rest of the world or even looking at the national team in, in their stance compared to the rest of the world when it comes to big tournaments and qualifying even? Yeah, so I think that um, kind of there was a, a massive review into this back in kind of the early 2000s in terms of how 
our national teams have been operating, the fact that for 32 years our national men's team hadn't qualified for a World Cup and the 2006 World Cup kind of showed what there was in terms of capability of developing programs, but then there hasn't been a whole lot of success that kind of underpinned that men's program uh, after that kind of initial success. And so because of that, a lot of um, a lot of development had to be put into place in terms of how to make sure the best of the best are training with the best of the best on a regular basis and uh, to help develop that system. So kind of in, in terms of like a coaching point of view, we've had kind of our national curriculum be put in place. We've had more national coaching forums be put in place to kind of get everyone on the same page. Um, but as grand as that's been, we kind of haven't had the same success that we've had previously. And part of that, I feel that is part of the player pathway um, was actually – a athlete would get to the age of 16 and then would face the fork in the road of either play in Australia and know that you you might get a look in somewhere else, but you probably won't, or head overseas and then go play in a professional club in a professional setup. But that can't actually really happen anymore, especially since the fact that we have the new rules talking about the fact that Australian international players can't get signed until they're 18. So you're leaving a lot of player development very, very late in that sense. Oh, interesting. Do you think it's – do you see it working? Do you see that, that approach having taken – having the desired effect? I think that there's a, a lot of merit behind it and I think that the, we probably won't see the effect for, again, probably another generation's worth. But – that, that's kind of the, the classic attitude that most of, admittedly, most of us in the football community and most people in society kind of have, whereby we set these long-term goals, but we want short-term success. And we, we kind of forget about the end game that we're all trying to achieve. And the end game might be that we're all trying to get 16 elite footballers playing at the best of their, uh, level and being the, the, uh, like in the best leagues in the world but we all want that to happen tomorrow without realising that that's going to happen in 10, 15, 20 years' time when this system's actually got a chance to be able to grow. So let me ask you, change speeds here a little bit, and some of the other stuff that you do in terms of working in the disabled football environment too. Yeah, so I have the joy of having two roles in... uh, some amazing environments. So I'm the technical assistant and the assistant coach to our Australian deaf football team. Um, and I'm also the assistant coach to our Australian blind B1 football team. And B1 is? Uh, totally vision impaired. So pretty much think of it as close your eyes and try and move around the house. That's <laughs> them. Yeah. Now, I don't even know what how to even start a conversation on that in terms of like <laughs> what the, even just thinking of the experience we've I've had experience here with um with top soccer and we get you get a, a whole bunch of kids that all have their own carer but they all have a variety of 
disabilities and they will they work with their um their carer and we would provide some skills and some challenges for them and they would work kind of hand in hand through through whatever whatever the the focus of the week was and that was it was very uncomfortable for me at first but then it was so rewarding so i guess let's start there on on what that experience is like for you in terms of coaching with these these elite women hey i'll I'll piggyback off that uncomfortable moment because my first experience of coaching a australian blind football team was i'd sent a message on linkedin to a national coordinator saying hey mate i know that you're coaching in sydney this weekend can i come down and visit and he said "Yeah, yeah sure no worries I ended up getting there and he went, okay, here are your six players and here's our head coach's six players. You're taking your group for warm-up and uh, you've got 15 minutes. We'll get back together so we can start our activations. And I'm like, I have no idea what to do for warm-up. Um, deer in headlights, massive, do not know anything. And it was the glance over the shoulder, oh, the head coach is doing this now. Okay, let's go do this and just kind of copy paste whatever was going on and it was that moment that I kind of just went oh I am so underprepared for this concept and (laughs) suddenly YouTube became my best friend locked myself in the room watched as many past games as possible started writing kind of my own session plans for how to coach blind football um, have been helping or at least helping uh, talk and start the discussions with coaches from around the world, including uh, some good friends over in Africa and some friends over in England, uh, some friends in Asia, and working out kind of how we could kind of create a, a worldwide resource of how to coach blind and vision-impaired football and how that could kind of create its different levels from this is what the national team does to this is what you could do in your local club when people turn up and this is what you could do at that top soccer level as well. Incredible. Now, how often are you involved in that? Uh, So we get together probably about three times a year for training camps. Um, This is where, like, the sad thing about, COVID-19 and everything that's going on, we ended up having to cancel uh, a few training camps from earlier on this year. And we've also had to cancel a international tournament, which was meant to be held later on this year, which admittedly was going to be our first ever international tournament to be able to (laughs) participate in. Um, We were set to go to Switzerland in June uh, and play against other kind of emerging nations. And uh, unfortunately that means that's on hold. Uh, and hopefully then we can try and lock in something uh, either later on this year, early next year. I know that uh, talking to the guys over at Top Soccer and uh, even the guys at Soccer Chat, uh, we kind of want to try and develop our own USA versus Australia blind football game, something to happen next year, trying to work out <laughs> how that can happen. So 2021, USA v Australia. <laughs> uh, like pencil that in your diary somewhere. Like a new version of the Ashes. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> so then, is that is there a lot of um, soccer available for blind and deaf in in Australia? And is it something? I guess it's something that I'm kind of removed from. But is that is that something that is growing? I think the awareness is probably there now too, in terms of providing the opportunity for as many people to play anyway. But how is it in terms yes, of what kind of growth? Yeah, so we kind of have to rely a lot on uh, the likes of the Paralympics 
and international kind of tournaments to kind of help build interest and help uh, kind of promote the games. Um, my my vision would be to kind of create um, communities with Blind Sports Australia whereby we can kind of just get as many vision-impaired athletes as possible, kind of do as many different vision-impaired sports. So we've got goalball, you might have vision-impaired cricket, you might have vision-impaired AFL, vision-impaired football, and kind of just host as many different sports as possible. And then we can actually use that as kind of a talent ID process as well because most of the athletes are actually able to qualify for a number of different sports. Um, We've got one of our national team players, uh, Nathan Letts. He also plays on the New South Wales cricket team as well as the Australian blind cricket team. Um, And he's also been involved with our goalball sides. So because of that, I think that the future of uh, these sports is to kind of create hubs whereby athletes can just come along and try as many different sports as possible and then we can kind of get as many different people qualified and eligible to play as many different sports as possible. I think that's kind of going to be one of the best ways that we can gauge interest and get more and more communities on board and obviously connecting with um, local schools who are specialised for um, schools for the blind or schools for hearing impairments, that kind of stuff, that will help out as well in terms of uh, developing player pathways and talent ID in the future. It's really interesting that you mention um, like the uh, using major events like the the Paralympics and even just from a, a simple level. I remember growing up in the UK and when Wimbledon was on, everybody played tennis for, the, for that month. Yeah. Or when it was the World Cup, you notice more and more people out playing. And I, I guess it's the same thing here. So you go back to the global issue that we're facing right now with COVID-19, that Paralympics are also suspended because yep. the Olympics, so they follow the Olympics right away. So that's another year. So that is potentially having a knock-on effect for the programming that you guys are trying to build too, right? Yeah, exactly right. So that's a worldwide issue that everyone's wants to be able to piggyback off the success of programs, but you can't at the moment. So even talking to uh, Sean Danhauser at Top Soccer um, about the potential link that there could be between USA uh, Paralympic Committee and Top Soccer or the Australian blind teams with what's happening with the Australian Paralympic Committee and that kind of stuff. You you can't really piggyback off success if you don't have that within reach. So we end up having to kind of just replay highlights and kind of rely on word of mouth to promote games. We have to rely on kind of promises of events in the future. Um, For instance, our blind team, we've only played kind of a few international Uh, games where we've had friendlies against the likes of India or friendlies against the likes of Malaysia, which has been good. It's been enjoyable, but you want to see the best of the best on the world stage to kind of get that feeling of, yeah, this is realistic and this is what's achievable and this is what the end goal is. I think about how we both rely on people around us in terms of this coaching community and you mentioned even just the like the hashtag of free coaching ed which i want to get to in a second but is there a is there a big coaching community around like the the paralympics or around those sorts of sports and athletes you know what there kind of is but you you have to really 
find them. You have to fish them out kind of thing. So it's, it's a really interesting community whereby uh, there are some people who want to share a lot of resources. There are some people who don't want to share a lot of resources. There are people who kind of just disappear on social media at different times. So <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an interesting little environment. But the more people who kind of share stuff, I feel like, again, the better it is because we're all trying to achieve the same thing. So I, I've come across some amazing coaches over in Argentina and some coaches over in Brazil who are sharing their videos in terms of how they're doing their warm-ups or how they're doing kind of their shooting patterns. Uh, came across a an, an awesome coach over in Africa who's been running coaching courses and uh, starting up his own kind of like certificate to coach blind uh, and vision impaired football, which I, I was absolutely mesmerized by the fact that we have all of these football coaches out there and it wouldn't be too difficult in a way to kind of create these coaching environments where it's coach the coach and then go coach a player. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think that's probably all anyone's really looking for right now, especially given all the downtime. So I want to touch on the, some of the hashtags and some of the stuff that you do online too, in particular that we can recommend to people. So the hashtag soccer chat, Yes, love the soccer chat. Um, love the chance to be able to talk to uh, Coach Sean and Coach Nick Rizzo. And uh, basically, it's like a, due to the time difference, it's generally a Thursday lunchtime, which is where <laughs> I generally have like a half hour window between one school to the next school. I'm sitting in the car changing the T-shirts and having as many muesli <laughs> bars as possible. That's when soccer chat's on. And it's just like, yes, quick, connect, and let's <laughs> share as many resources as possible online um, and jump on this, uh, the discussions. But it's also been great with, uh, with Sean Soddling doing a whole lot of coaches' calls and uh, all these different podcasts which have been going up over the last kind of two weeks or so. So, yeah, loving the soccer chat community. And you are also doing the same thing too, right? With terms of holding your own um, chats and for people that want to reach out and, and have a similar conversation with you. Yeah, exactly right. So I know that there are plenty of coaches who are in the same boat as you and me and everyone else who, you know what, we, we're used to working full-time in football, but we can't at the moment. So we need to fill up the hour somehow. And uh, to kind of help distract me from writing up all a lot of teaching lesson plans and pretty much everything else. Um, I would love it if people wanted to connect and uh, share some ideas. Uh, over the last few days, I've had a few different calls talking about player evaluations and how to kind of develop player development programs and uh, individual player programs. Also had some awesome discussions about um, a a coach who works in the high school program here in Australia who has been asked to run their coaching sessions via Zoom to uh, to their entire team. And I was just like, right, so it's you and 30 players. How have you tried to plan out how to make that work over Zoom? And they were like, I don't know. So we came up with like some different ideas and different models. And um, so, yeah, just developing different programs like that to uh, to make things flow and to make things make more sense. That's what's exciting to me. So, yeah, more than happy. If anyone wants to jump on a, uh, jump on a coaching call, We'll try and make a time which is beneficial for uh, both parties. Obviously, the time difference, we'll try and uh, make a workout if we can, avoid the 3 a.m. phone calls, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> you made a good point there that soccer chat for you, this is a, the, 
the contrasting worlds that soccer chat for you is on a Thursday lunchtime as you're running between schools and soccer chat for me on the West coast is as I'm in the middle of back-to-back sessions of three hours on the field. And so I miss it all completely. So by the time I get home and in bed, I'm probably joining in by Thursday as well. So it's like I almost catch <laughs> up with you and take over then. And then of course, by then you're on Friday. So this was, this was an interesting chat for us to make this work given the 18 hours of time difference, but it's been so worth it. And so I want to wrap up with just a, I guess, reflect and, and recap on the hashtag free coaching ad. You mentioned the, the, the women's content that you received and that you're planning on putting out your content too. Is there anyone else that you follow or anyone else you want to give a shout out to in terms of this, this free? So the idea for anyone who hasn't caught up with it, yeah, it's just the, the hashtag of free coaching ed and started a couple of weeks ago once we all entered into this idea of lockdown and isolation. So really connecting with as many other people out there and people sharing resources. So have you got any um, gems up your sleeve other than Nancy's women's stuff? Yeah, so uh, there have been some awesome people who have been sharing some amazing things on Free Coaching Ed. Obviously, we've got the likes of, um, well, we've got as, uh, the Cincinnati Development Academy as well as the likes of Bobby, uh, Bobby Papioni who are sharing a heck of a lot of things. We've got uh, Base Mode Soccer who's been sharing videos every day as well as uh, Matt Dorman who's been sharing some amazing things. Uh, likewise, with uh, Soccer Pulse uh, and Sports Lab 360. They've been sharing some amazing things uh, recently, but I've also come across uh, some awesome people uh, through just random chats online and come across the likes of John Johnson, who's been running the Rec Coach Pro program. So check him out. He's got a few different sessions or at least some different classroom activities to be able to do, I believe there's one about uh, the great player Pele. There's a couple of different ideas about uh, sessions about Wembley, the FA Cup, as well as Camp Nou. So check out John Johnson on Twitter. Uh, you can also check out a amazing woman over in the UK, Annabelle Alt, who has uh, started sending out kind of weekly plans uh, throughout her network. And I've been massively uh, blast sending out emails to everyone going, here is what Annabelle is sending out. And I'm more than happy to add you onto my email list as well. So basically she's including indoor training session ideas. So things that you can do on your apartment balcony, things that you can do outside. If you have a wall to be able to kick ball against things you can do outside, if you're able to get to a local park. Um, she's also included things like your social, uh, social media challenges, other coaching resources, um, She's specialising in women's football. So, yeah, Annabelle Alt has been really cool in terms of sharing resources there. Love it. It's just, that just says it all that we're all in the same boat and we're all trying to share, all, we're all out there for, for the players. So I'll wrap up with what are you doing with your players right now, given that you can't see them? Are you giving them challenges? Do you have kind of Zoom calls with them or phone calls or text messages? Where are you at with your players? Yes, yeah, so Sunday night was actually the first time we did a whole team Zoom chat meeting, which was brilliant fun because <laughs> uh, everyone was just like, what's going on? And like, yes, well, if you're speaking, it highlights you. And then if you're speaking, it highlights you. And that was just <laughs> a, a mesmerizing experience for everyone. So that was good times. But uh, I've, I've also sent out uh, kind of a at-home training plan. So if people have spaces to be able to do some core exercises, people have space to be able to do just some foam rollouts, if people have space to be able to do stuff in their balconies or in their backyards, 
sent out some coaching plans for them. But this week's challenge has actually been uh, to watch back the game footage from a game that we played what feels like months ago, but it was actually only a fortnight ago. And uh, we ended up walking away with a 1-0 victory over my former club, uh, West uh, Northwest Sydney Koalas. And what I've sent to them is kind of a, a player analysis where I want them to watch back their game footage and to kind of just look at themselves in four different components, things that they would consider to be like their, their highlight moment of the game, things that they would consider to be their, uh, their moment that they want to be really proud of in terms of whether it's their whole team that they're really proud of something or their, their individual performance that they're really proud of. Uh, so that the, they've really grown or improved upon this season. Uh, so a few weeks ago, they might have done X, but now they're doing this. So whatever the song that they want to uh, be proud of their, their growth moment. And then finally is something that they want to work on. So it might be a personal goal that they want to set after realizing that when we eventually do start up football again, it might not be until May. It might not be till June, in which case then we might only have two months worth of football. So whatever it is something that they want to work on, uh, it could be a personal goal, a team goal, could be something that we can achieve between player and coach, could be something that they want to achieve by themselves. But yeah, this week's homework for them is is more video analysis and more personal analysis. I really like the structure that you've given them there too, because I found that a lot of video sessions can often be about what we can do better. And it's often always, well, how can we be better? How can we be better? And there's often forgotten that there are a lot of good moments in the game too, for an individual or for a collective team. So that's a gem that I've just written down from this conversation <laughs> that is probably going to be part of my weekly challenge for my players, maybe next week, because I've got them breaking footage down already with a purpose of tying it to their positions. And so I think that's, it's, it's brilliant. Now, is that something you came up with or something that you picked up from somewhere along the way? I, I don't really remember, but uh, <laughs> chatting to another coach the other day, talking about video analysis, I kind of wanted to highlight more of the positives. I feel that a positive experience is a more beneficial learning experience than highlighting the negatives and then creating kind of that negative experience of, I oh, actually, I don't want to watch film back because I know that I'm only going to get the negative things or I'm only going to watch film back to see the five things that I did right and the the 10 things I did wrong. So I wanted to kind of create as many different uh, activities or different lessons for players to be able to watch back their game film and go, you know what? I might not have done brilliantly there, but this here is a highlight. So like that there is something that I'm really properly proud of. And then how can I replicate that moment to then have more proud moments? Right. Because uh, yeah, I want people to kind of, the, the dream would be to have more and more players having all of their highlight moments on their Instagram profiles where they're just like, hey, I did this and this was awesome. Mm. Then people going, hey, this is the blooper of me taking my horrible first touch and that led to a goal against kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Brilliant stuff. Nice little finish note there, Pete. So uh, just remind us again where, where we find you, where we follow you, where we engage with you. 
so feel free to check me out on uh, Twitter. So at Pete Novakowski, so N-O-W-A-K-O-W-S-K-O. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn or uh, basically if you want to join in one of these coaches calls, you can also find me on Skype. So that's Pete underscore Novakowski. Uh, and uh, you can jump on a chat and more than happy to talk some football with anyone and try and work out what we can do to help the community and help our players develop in this downtime. Pete, I love it. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Thank you very much. Have an awesome one. This chat with Pete was really, really interesting for me in terms of the the balance that he goes through in terms of the multitude of environments that he coaches in and then also looking at the differences of people that he's challenged with working with every day from the disabled football that he's involved in to the professional ladies and then even through the youth and the school programming so he wears the same amount of hats that I think many of us wears or as he mentioned shirts and changing shirts in the car that's something that's it's so accurate and it's so true so so make sure you do connect with Pete. I am excited for people to get on a call with him and talk soccer with him, as you've kind of heard us do here today. So at Pete Novakovsky on Twitter is where you'll get him. And always follow me, of course, at Lead on Soccer. More content coming from me in terms of online practice and practice material for you to follow have some stuff in the workings right now for a private facebook group in terms of working through your environment too and i've actually pulled pete into some of it too based on his knowledge and experience with club administration so watch out for that it's coming real soon thank you so much for listening please share please leave me a review and more coming from heads and volleys real soon